Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome again to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as is usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, Chris. And guys, this is June 22nd, which is a Friday. This is mm-hmm. 2012. Yep. And the reason why I say the date is the Monday of this week, we heard an announcement from Microsoft about an upcoming product that definitely made some waves in the tech world. I saw some interest in in places that I didn't expect, uh, and it was the Microsoft Surface tablet. Yeah, the the Microsoft Surface up until a few days ago was a big tabletop uh, touchscreen device. Yeah, uh, a very cool tabletop touchscreen device. Um, priced out of the market for most of us. Yeah, it was um, really meant for commercial uses, not for consumer uses. Yeah, actually, it kind of reminded me in a way of uh, Vannevar Bush's uh, Memex. This was, of course, envisioned in the uh, the 1940s as um, a, de- a 
basically a desktop workstation that would allow you to uh, photograph uh, different documents and use them on microfilm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the uh, a lot of the computer and internet engineers since then have sort of taken that as a. It, it ended up being a semi self fulfilling prophecy, just because people liked the idea and they yeah. said, "Well, yeah, it would be nice to have this." Well, the Surface was actually a desk itself in a way, a table with a big touchscreen surface, and you could uh, have different things on the screen and, and interact with it. You could, you know, if you were using it in a work setting, which it's not really designed to do, but you could have all your documents in your desk, you know, on the desktop, literally, yeah. and move things around. Very neat, but very expensive. And, uh, uh, yeah, but they uh They decided, repurposed the name. Yes. They changed the name of that device. Yes. Uh, Pixel Sense. Right. That's the new name for what was the Surface. And now the Surface is a tablet. And I've heard some people talk about how Microsoft is aping Apple, which I think is completely off base for multiple reasons. Yeah. But we'll get into those. And in order to really understand where I'm coming from about how Microsoft is not aping Apple, you have to kind of look at Microsoft's history with the tablet, which has not been a very smooth one. No, but it has been a fairly long one, especially in tech terms. Yes. Back in 1991, mm-hmm. Microsoft released a version of Windows called Windows for Pen Computing. Mm-hmm. And pen computing was essentially the idea of using some sort of interface that would require a stylus to input data into a, a display. Right. So it didn't necessarily mean it would have to be in a tablet form factor. It could be a screen on a wall. It could be your laptop screen or or desktop screen. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that uh, there needed to be some form of support for a different interface than just the keyboard and mouse. Uh, now, that product didn't really take off. Uh, and in fact, the form factors didn't really take off outside of some niche markets. And uh, part of the problem was that building uh, software that can recognize handwriting uh, is really, really tricky. And in fact, <laughs> Apple had already tried it yeah. with the Newton, mm-hmm. uh, the Apple Newton, which Newton was a message pad. Yes, a message pad. It was sort of a, a PDA, right? Yeah. Um, uh, a personal digital assistant. Right. Not public display of affection. Right. A, a PDA uh, is basically a small handheld device um, that uh, you would use a stylus to interact with. It had a, uh, um, it didn't have a the same kind of touch screen we use now. Right. It didn't. It didn't necessarily allow you to use your fingers. You had to use the stylus. Right. Right. Um, and and basically what it would do is, I mean, it was really uh, at the time designed to be a business tool. Yeah. For the enterprise market, yes. you would uh, keep your calendar in there and your your phone contacts and things. So it was a smartphone without the phone. Yeah. Sort of. More or less. So, but, but Microsoft was not looking at creating devices or marketing for devices that were, uh, this, this kind of, uh, tier of electronics below computers, mm-hmm. right? Because you could think of a smartphone as like an, a, a sub brand of computer, but it, it doesn't have the full processing capability and, uh, it's not as robust as a full computer would be. Right. So Microsoft's view was that, no, we want to support devices that are essentially computers, just computers that are in a different form factor than your big desktop tower and display and keyboard and mouse. Uh, but again, developing the software to try and support that was very tricky. And 
and it didn't really take off in the early 90s. It just nothing really happened. And for a while, Microsoft kind of just put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Bill Gates was still who, who was the head of Microsoft at the time, was still very much determined to find a way to make this work because he saw that as the future of computing. Yep. He said that, you know, eventually that the tablet form factor would actually outstrip other fact versions of computers like laptops and desktops. Yes. So in 97, Microsoft hires a fellow named Dick Brass, who was uh, a guy who was uh, involved in designing electronic dictionaries in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And they hired him to kind of spearhead this approach of trying to think about pen-based computing and and what would it take to make that successful. Mm Mm-hmm. So what Brass ended up doing was he ended up uh, working with a carpenter, of all things, to put together a a rough-looking model of what a tablet could look like. And um, If I had a hammer. Yeah. It was a wooden model. It had a flat base and a keyboard and a flat screen. And uh, the screen could be separated from the keyboard. So this was still a device that, when it was put together, would resemble a computer in some sense, but then you could detach the the screen and have that as a separate uh, device, which sounds very familiar. We've seen a lot of devices over the last few years that have some sort of laptop-tablet hybrid approach, right? Separate saucer section. Yep. <laughs> That'll come into play later. Uh, the So in, in November of 2000, we're skipping ahead a little bit, at the Comdex event. Now, Comdex <laughs> is no longer a thing. Yes, but, but at he, the time it was a big computer trade show. Yeah, it was the largest computer trade show in the world at the time. Yeah, now uh, CES, uh, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show. Yes, and still that's what it stands for, but they want it to be called CES. Yep. Um, that's basically um, TVs, uh, portable music players, yep. car stereos, stuff that you and I are going to buy for uh, daily, everyday f- Stuff. Yeah, there are also some tablets and some phones and things, but really, that's not, not a whole lot of computers. I mean, laptops. You see a lot of laptops, mm-hmm. like especially this last CES 2012. That was when the Ultrabooks were really launched. Yeah. But in general, it is not a computer showcase. No, no, and uh, neither is is E3, the Electronics Entertainment Expo. No, that's a video game showcase. Right, right. Um, Sometimes a hardware showcase as well, but those are very specialized kinds of hardware. Right. You see computers there, but they're you know specifically uh, oriented toward gaming purposes. Yeah. Uh, or showing off gaming stuff. You might see um, video cards. You know, hey, right. we got a new graphics card. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Com- but but Comdex was is... the the boring part of computers. <laughs> well. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was it was really uh, a geekier side of the the industry? Yeah, you and, get right down to it. And a lot of it was, you know, personal computers meant for home business, that uh-huh. kind of thing. Personal computers for all different applications. But really, I mean, the the image most people have is a bunch of a uh, bunch of of guys wearing short sleeve button up shirts with ties, yeah, sitting in a big auditorium and drooling over the latest specs of the uh, next next year's models of personal computers, yeah. um, which is an unfair characterization, but that's often what people think about. Sure. So at t- the 2000 Comdex event, which took place in Las Vegas, uh, Bill Gates came out and had a, a keynote speech. He actually said some really interesting things in that speech, some stuff that uh, I think you could almost say everything he said turned out to be wrong. 
at least uh, at least in the short term. Well, you know, that's the trouble with being a, a visionary and, and Bill Gates and, uh, you know, many of his contemporaries uh, are and were visionaries. Um, but, you know, different people have different visions and yeah. things and the market also has a, a say in this, of course. Right. And sometimes the future turns out differently than the way you expect. And mm-hmm. he get- said, uh, for example, that uh, the browser is dead. Yeah. He said the browser era is over yep. in 2000. Which, you know, when you think uh, actually about it, it kind of died for a while. It did. It did. And it it, that and that was just before the dot-com bubble burst, too. So there was some there, there was danger on the horizon already. Yeah. But that was uh, pre-Web 2.0. Right. But the, the browser obviously is not dead. He also thought that people would not want this sort of shared computing experience. The idea of having uh, your computer essentially be a dumb terminal uh, attached to some sort of smarter computer device that would do processing and storage. Well, it turns out cloud computing has really taken off. And so that's essentially what he was talking about was cloud computing. It was just before people were referring to it as cloud computing. Yeah, I, I think of it more as the old um, timeshare. Uh, well, yeah, the timeshare model and uh, the the uh, the dumb terminals that you would see in college campuses uh, where you had a mainframe and you would connect to the mainframe uh, people at the time did want desktop computers. You wanted to be able to uh, operate your computer where you were in your house mm-hmm. instead of having to go to a computer lab and work on the mainframe. Right. So, yeah, and, and it's it's funny to say that because um, now in retrospect, it looks uh, – I mean, we're, I feel like we're kind of teasing Bill Gates because a lot of the things he said, you know, turned out to be sort of semi-false. At the time, in the context – what he said sort of came to pass, well, and, it and made, then it reinvented it, itself right. in a different way. And there were a lot of limitations yeah. on on the world when yeah. Bill Gates made these yeah. these predictions. For instance, we didn't have the broadband connections that we have now. No, we didn't. So, so having a cloud computing infrastructure back in 2000 was not a reasonable expectation. It wasn't feasible because you couldn't. Be, you wouldn't be able to access the data you would need in a timely manner. It would take so long to transfer the data that it would negate the, 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 the benefits of having offsite storage and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the time, his predictions made perfect sense, but he also predicted that the tablet PC was going to be huge, that this was going to be the next revolution in, uh, in, in computers. And, uh, Microsoft software architect Bert Keeley came out and he specifically talked about the tablet PC at that event. Uh, now the information he gave was that the device would weigh less than three pounds and that would run Windows based software applications and you would use a stylus to make notes on images and office documents, which would then get incorporated into uh, files so that let's say that you're looking at a picture of something. Let's say that you're working with uh, an advertiser, for example, mm-hmm. uh, on an ad and the advertiser sends you a mock-up of what the ad's going to look like. You can make digital notes on the ad using this tablet device mm-hmm. and send it back and say like, all right, you know, this, uh, the, the product isn't featured prominently enough or whatever, you know, right. or, or I don't like the, the color of this, this background because it's, it's masking the product, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the idea and beyond just those, those use cases as well. I mean, pretty much anytime you could think of needing to make a note on a, phys- a, a digital file, that's when it would come into play. Right. Um, but it was just a, an announcement and a demonstration of a prototype. There was no product to show off yet. Uh, in 2001, at Comdex, 
Compaq came out and showed off a prototype tablet PC running Windows. And at that time, Gates then predicted that within five years, tablets would be the most popular form factor of computers sold on the market. Mm-hmm. And here's where uh, I'm going to take a little break here. So we've already talked about how Microsoft's got a long history in tablets that doesn't have anything to do with the iPad, right? Right. Here's where I am going to mention the iPad, because even though the iPad doesn't come out for another nine years, you know, we see the iPad unveiled in 2010, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jobs decided to approach the iPad in a fundamentally different way than the way Gates was looking at the tablet PC. Right. And that Gates was looking at a way to cre- create a computer that was in the form factor of a tablet. Jobs was looking at building up a smartphone-like device or iPod-like device into the tablet form factor. He was looking at scaling up smartphones, not scaling down computers. Right. And in fact, that was Jobs' main point. He said that his competitors were all trying to make computers into tablets and that that was the wrong approach and that it would not succeed. Well, this is kind of what Jobs was talking about. Microsoft has a history of trying to make computers fit into the tablet form factor mm-hmm. and Historically, they have not met with very much success. And this compact prototype was one of the first ones that sort of showed off what a Windows-based tablet would be capable of doing, but it ultimately did not really make a huge impact. And again, Gates's prediction about tablets being really popular would ultimately be true, but it was from a completely different approach than the one Microsoft was making. So moving ahead, so November 7th, 2002, the tablet PC gets unveiled by Gates, uh, who, who says he has anticipated this moment for many, many years. And uh, they talk about how there are going to be seven different computer makers that will create tablets that run Windows software. So this is not a Microsoft machine. It's Microsoft supporting the tablet form factor by building an operating system specifically designed for that. Yeah, that was the uh, Windows XP tablet PC edition. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, exactly the way that Apple doesn't do it. Yes. Um, you know, the, people talk about that uh you know how Apple is a closed system because it manufactures both the hardware and writes the software for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know they they do both sides of that equation. Microsoft, uh, keeping ourselves in this time frame, Microsoft doesn't make hardware. They right. make software, lots of different software, and they work with many many different hardware partners to build the machines that run the operating system. And as a matter of fact, this uh, Windows XP Tablet PC edition was only available to. OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. So right. if you were Compaq or HP or you know one of the other manufacturers that was was working with them, you could buy this software and pre-install it on the tablets. You wouldn't be able to find it on the shelf at, shelf at your local computer store. Hey, they still had computer stores back then. Yep, yep. And and uh, there were some other things that really set this apart from what the you know the tablets that would come down the line several years later. Uh, one is that a lot of the tablets, quote unquote tablets, that came out uh, in 2003 was when they really started hitting store shelves. 
a lot of those tablets were really hybrids. Mm-hmm. They were laptop hybrids. So you had the kind that would either have a, a, a screen that would swivel and then fold back down over the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So you would have a, a really thick tablet because there'd be a keyboard section folded underneath. Yeah, it was basically uh, um, the same form factor as a laptop with a closed case. Yeah. You, you know, it's it's just got the screen flipped around and closed. Exactly. Uh, or you would have the other type of hybrid where you could detach the screen from the base of the keyboard and it would just become its own little computing device with a touchscreen interface. Again, mostly using a stylus, not necessarily using your fingers. Um, Gates was very... Uh, optimistic about the chances of this in the market. He thought that at least half a million would sell in the first year. And uh, they'd spent around $400 million on the technology to develop the tablet PC operating system and to support that form factor. Uh, The manufacturers that were included in that list of seven, uh, among them were HP, Samsung, Toshiba, and Acer. But there were a couple of notable missing persons on that list, Mm -hmm. the two being really Dell and IBM. Huge names in computers, especially at this time in the early 2000s. That was back when IBM made personal computers. Yeah. So back in the early 2000s, these two companies, famous for making computers, were kind of holding back in order to see if the tablet form factor truly would succeed because – there was a lot of skepticism in the market. I mean, there's a lot of optimism on one side, but there were some companies saying, you know, this is really risky. Do we really want to pour millions of dollars in research and development and production to build something that we are not convinced people want yet? Mm-hmm. And so they decided to wait. And also these devices, they ranged in price between around $1,800 to $2,500. So they were computers. Yeah, exactly. They were full price computers. They weren't a tablet in the sense that we think of today where they're running on lower power processors and using specialized operating systems. These were Windows computers in a form factor of a tablet. So the tablets had problems. Mm-hmm. They Their screen resolution wasn't the best. Uh, they tended to have really short battery life. And the handwriting software, recognition software, had lots of problems. In mm-hmm. fact, it had a lot of problems during the development phase. I read one story about how they uh, back at Microsoft while they were developing the tablet PC OS, they had an entire team switch from laptops to tablet PCs to really test them and see what's going on and see if they could do their work on a day to day basis using them. Mm-hmm. And they found that whenever they were making notes on a digital file, if they had to make multiple notes, often the tablet PC operating system wasn't really sure where those notes should go, and sometimes would combine them to make nonsensical sentences. <laughs> there was combining different notes into a run-on sentence that has no real meaning, like a bunch of sentence fragments just crammed together. So they actually removed that feature <laughs> before shipping it because they, they realized that it, that would do more harm than good. In fact, Apple had seen very similar problems when they developed the Newton mm-hmm. a decade earlier. So it wasn't unique to Microsoft to have these problems. Um, but another problem was that the adaptation of the operating system and more more importantly, the applications that rested on top of the operating system, they didn't really work so well with a touch screen user interface. Mm-hmm. They you know it was it was trying to put 
software that was meant to be used with a keyboard and mouse and put it into a different form factor with a different user interface without allowing for that difference. So a lot of the applications were not intuitive. Some of them were downright unusable because they just weren't designed for that kind of interface. So you had a, a product that had a lot of horsepower to it, especially compared to you know, the computers of the day. It was fairly equivalent to them, mm-hmm. but it just... It, the software couldn't match up to the hardware because the, the user interface wasn't there. So you would have a big, heavy, expensive piece of electronics that couldn't do what you needed it to do. That seems like a waste of money. It does seem like that. Uh, around that same time, Microsoft also partnered with Fujitsu and ViewSonic to mm-hmm. create smart displays. These were displays that linked to a PC through Wi-Fi. So you would still have a home-base PC and this device would hook to it and you would have a smart touch, you know, display case uh, where you could use it as if it were a tablet, uh, the processing being handled by the computer that it's hooked to through Wi-Fi. But these were still pretty expensive, like around a thousand dollars or more. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really succeed. So Microsoft ended up killing that project within about a year of its starting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then there was uh, Project Origami. Yes, Project Origami. In 2006. Uh, yeah, that was uh, for handheld PCs uh, and touchscreen interfaces. They wanted you to use your fingers. Yeah. Including, Let them do the walking. Exactly. Uh, including the ultra-mobile PCs. Do you remember that term? Yes, I do. It's uh, not one you run into very much anymore. But yeah, ultra-mobile PCs, that, that was sort of the predecessor to both tablets and netbooks. Um, but uh, in, in a way, also a predecessor to ultrabooks. Uh they still had a lot of problems, mostly because, again, the operating system wasn't fully optimized for a touchscreen interface. And also, they tended to have really lousy battery life. Um, not not a great experience. Now, that's not to say that these devices didn't work and that people didn't use them. Um, there were a couple uh, industries, really, that took to them. Yeah, the medical industry in um, medi- particular. Yes, the medical industry um, followed their own advice and took two tablets and called Microsoft in, in the, the morning. morning. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, no, but they, they did. And I actually still see that uh, at some of the doctor's offices that uh, I've been to in the past few years. They are still using um, the traditional you know, Microsoft tablet design. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very useful for that kind of thing, especially because um, they're using the same software uh, to register and track patient records that they would use on a desktop computer or a laptop computer typically. So it's very compatible with that and it has been very efficient for that. And it's good because they can carry this around in the tablet form factor. So they can carry it under their arm uh, you know, drop it down where they can make notes and they can talk to you and, and, and take notes on this, on this tablet device. But, um, they had a specific need to have something like that. So right. I think that's one of the reasons why it, um, it took off in that particular market. Sure. Yeah. And, and, but for that, home users, right. Not, not like that. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. 
and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. And that's one of the things that Microsoft has always pushed, is the idea that these are devices that can run the applications you're used to on your computer. Yes. Things that, that the other form of tablet, Apple's version of tablet, can't do because the operating system isn't robust enough to support all the features and functions of this software. Yeah. So, um, for example, uh, there, specifically OneNote, uh, which is part of the Microsoft Office suite for Windows, um, is note-taking software, which I like very much, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they made sure that that would that in particular, in addition to the the office uh, applications or office compatibility, uh, they made sure that was available for the tablets. Yep. So you can see where Microsoft is coming from. It's just again they've had this the, these difficulties, and some of it is beyond their control because again they're they're creating the software and the hardware is being designed by other companies. Uh, that doesn't excuse the problems with how the software isn't fully optimized for touchscreens. Obviously, that's something that's very important. And again, Apple got that. They designed their interface with touchscreen from the ground up. Mm-hmm. They didn't try and scale something down and then adapt it for touchscreens. So it's a different philosophy. Uh, that doesn't mean that Microsoft's approach won't ultimately work. It's just that 
they've had a really long, hard uh, uh, journey. And it's not over yet because we haven't talked about the the two things that came out in 2008. We mentioned one of them because we mentioned Project Surface, which was the tabletop device you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Surface used cameras inside the device pointed up at the screen in order to detect where touches were being uh, placed upon the screen surface. Mm-hmm. It could do multiple touches at once, so you could have uh, several people all playing on a surface at the same time, and it could track all those movements. It also meant that you could do something like take a piece of paper with something written on it, place it face down on the surface, right. and copy it to the surface. So suddenly you have a digital copy of the physical th- document you had in your hands, and it's because there were these cameras underneath that could uh, look up and and see what was being pressed against the, the surface's surface. Like a Memex yep. would have been. Yep. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but the other thing that – the other project that we became aware of in 2008, really in 2009, was Project Courier. Ah, yes. Now, this was an internal project at Microsoft, and it was led by a couple of, of different people, one of whom was a, a someone who came from the Xbox division of Microsoft, a division that did really, really well in the sense that it went into a uh, an industry that already had some dominating companies in it, mostly mainly Sony and Nintendo, and created, carved out a space and was very successful in that space, at least especially in the United States, uh, by creating the Xbox. If you think about it, it's uh, it also provided a valuable lesson for Microsoft. And I've never seen this written down, but it just occurred to me. Um, up until this point, Microsoft didn't make hardware. But the Xbox showed them they, they could. Yeah. And it probably, you know, I think, again, I've never seen anybody say this or heard anybody say this, but I would imagine that probably gave them a little bit of confidence too. say, hey, you know, we can do this. We can be a hardware company too. And also keep in mind, the iPad had yet to debut. Yep. The iPad doesn't debut till 2010. So at the same time that we know Apple is working, or at least we suspect Apple's working on a tablet, we also hear about this Microsoft project. And the thing that set the courier apart was that it was a two-panel tablet. It was a hinged in the middle, and it had uh, um, two two displays. So it was like a booklet. Yeah, or and, a, a a bigger version of the uh, Nintendo DS form yeah. factor, where you had two screens when you open it up. And there were videos that leaked on the web that had showed the the courier's concept, where mm-hmm. you would be able to make notes and re- read the information and, and create content. And so it was all about content creation, not just content consumption. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to have a customized operating system based upon the videos that, or at least it would have a customized operating system because the videos were all pretty much prototype concept level stuff. It wasn't necessarily a working model. Right. And, um, so there was a lot of interest in this, among geek circles anyway. But in 2010, Microsoft killed off that project. And part of that might have been that the approach to the courier was closer to what Apple was doing. It was more about taking a simpler computing device and giving it some interesting features and functions rather than trying to take a computer and put it into a tablet form factor. And ultimately, I think Microsoft decided that that the courier did not really reflect what Microsoft is as a company. And it also didn't support two of Microsoft's flagship software uh, uh, products being Windows and the Office Suite. Right. So since 
you know, since it didn't do that, Microsoft's like, why would we produce a product that doesn't support our other products that are the foundation of our company? And ultimately, the courier died. Uh, and in 2009, Microsoft officially ended support for Windows for tablet PC. It's um, I, I think that actually this might be a good time to mention uh, something that we haven't before. And this dates yeah. back again, uh, has its roots in, in years before. Um, Microsoft did, however, make a uh, an operating system for PDAs called Pocket PC. Yep. Um, and it was a very successful competitor to the Palm uh PDAs, which were immensely popular with uh, enterprise, but they were they were uh, both aimed at business customers, and then you know it did the same kinds of things. But uh, as the uh, first with the uh, Trio and some of the other smartphones, um, Windows, uh, well, Pocket PC became Windows Mobile. Yeah, it, it migrated over to smartphones, and that was the operating system. And of course, we we now have uh, Windows Mobile Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were starting to use, uh, you know, touch screen devices, uh, making the software for other companies to use on their phones. So that, um, you know, they are working on software that will do, that will operate a device like a tablet, uh, what we think of now as a tablet. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't on what they were creating as their tablet product. So the Surface, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, the courier is probably using something along, more along the lines of Windows Mobile. As right. its operating system, then it would be a, a, a more fully developed, fully functional, wi- traditional Windows computer operating system. And part of the reason for that is that uh, going with the, the smartphone model, smartphones and mobile devices tend to use lower power processors than a computer does. They use for, like ARM-based processors. Yeah, and that's done for a couple reasons. Yeah, they're smaller and they are more energy efficient, so that means you have a longer battery life. And they're cooler in a lot of cases, yes. too. Um, Which is important when you have a device that doesn't necessarily have an internal fan. Yes, especially if you're going to put it in your pocket. Yeah. So uh, oh, for the Microsoft for Microsoft Windows to run, it really needs a, pr- a pretty beefy processor. Mm. You know, it can't beefy. beefy. It can't just it can't just be, you know, a little dinky processor. Right. So, you know, there were some tough choices for Microsoft to to make in order to pursue this. So moving on in 2010, Balmer was at CES and he showed the, off the uh, Steve Balmer. Yeah, Steve Balmer. Uh, sorry. I just I think of him as the Balmer. <laughs> um, he showed off the HP Slate tablet at Windows uh, at CES. It was running Windows 7. So again, you know, moving away from the Windows XP tablet PC stuff into Windows 7, but another problem, Windows 7 not optimized for touchscreens. Yes. So there were several tablets that came out that ran on Windows 7. They did not do very well because a lot of the reviews said this still is not a very satisfactory experience when you're using a touchscreen interface. It's just it wasn't made for that, and there and it shows. Yeah, I mean, you you it has let's clarify it has touchscreen functionality, but it wasn't optimized. Right, it wasn't designed for a touchscreen. Right, it yeah. was designed for a traditional computer. And while it had elements of touchscreen interface design in it, it wasn't that wasn't the primary purpose. Right. So right. there were people making touchscreen PCs. Yeah. Uh, all in ones. I remember HP had a line yeah. that was very much the same style of computer as uh, the IMAX of now, where you have everything baked into a basically it looks like a big monitor with a keyboard. Yeah. You know, no no um, side computer. 
you know, our tower computer. It's all built into that. And it said, you know, hey, you can use this as a touchscreen. And yes, you, you could, but it, it didn't have things like the, uh, the pinch to zoom and the swiping and the, right. the, uh, the same kinds of effects. Yeah. So things that built in. felt really intuitive, right. little gesture commands and things just weren't part of it. And that was a problem. Well, now we are up to 2012, and Microsoft has introduced the Surface tablets, which uh, are going to run two different versions of Windows. There's two two main categories of these tablets. There's uh, the Windows RT version, mm-hmm. and Windows RT is again an OEM version of Windows, just as tablet uh, the tablet PC Windows XP was. Um, it's optimized for uh, uh, more. Mobile processors. Yeah. So again, the, now we're looking more like the the Apple tablet in the sense that it's going to be on ARM based processors. So lower power, more efficient, cooler, but less um, uh, less capable of running really chunky programs. Right. So that's one version. It's the consumer model, really. Yeah, it's the yeah. Windows RT version. Then you have the Windows 8 Pro version, which will come out about three months after the debut of the Windows RT version, according to Microsoft. Now, this one is going to be having it will have a, an Intel core processor, uh, and it will run Windows 8 Pro on it. So it will have a more uh, fully fledged operating system. And Windows 8 was uh, an operating system designed with touchscreen in mind. Uh, at least as far as the Metro design of Windows 8 goes. Yeah. Because there's, there's different mod- modes of Windows 8, but one of them was specifically designed with touchscreens in mind. And when it first premiered, Microsoft didn't show it off on a tablet. They were showing it off on computers, and people were thinking, well, does this mean Microsoft's working on a tablet or they're working with uh, other manufacturers for tablets? And as it turns out, Microsoft was making a tablet. You might ask yourself, well, why is Microsoft doing that now instead of partnering with the manufacturers that it does for computers and other devices? And there are possible, lots of possible reasons. One of them might be that Microsoft wants to make sure that a tablet is made, quote unquote, the right way. Yes. Microsoft is making a tablet. Why are they making a tablet? <laughs> Thank um, you, Captain Kirk. Yeah. The, uh, Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Look it up on YouTube. So the uh, <laughs> the 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 question would be: I I think the answer here is that Microsoft wants to design a tablet around uh, that, that really takes advantage of this operating system. Mm-hmm. They know what the operating system can do. They've got the people who can build the tablet itself. They want to be able to do this to show off the operating system, and it's not necessarily going to be a line of products that will continue forever into the future. It may even be that these two models are the only two Microsoft ever produces and that they let everyone else build tablets from here on out. I don't know that Microsoft wants to get into the manufacturing business. That has been rumored. In fact, uh, some of that has been going along in the the, uh, tech media in the past few days since Mm -hmm. the the announcement is that – that's one of the things is that maybe Microsoft is doing this as a, a proof of concept and they, they will get in but not uh, jump into the market completely. And once they have proven that this is a, a thing and that it will work, they will let everyone else uh, take the lead. Because um, uh, as with Google's acquisition of Motorola, Motorola Mobility, if Google gets into the hardware business, everybody said, well, wait, they're going to be competing with all these uh, other uh, hardware manufacturers that they have been working with. Well, right. Microsoft is going to be in the same type of boat. Yeah, competing with they're partners. They're going to be competing with their partners. So, um, you know, there are people who who really do believe that that is they're, – they're showing it off. 
But, uh, of course, as Apple has proven uh, time and time again, yes, a closed system is closed, but the manufacturer has much more control over the environment when the system is closed because right. they can make it work exactly the way they think it should work. And they don't necessarily include anything else that wasn't intended. For example, again, with the Google Android platform, if yes. you buy a Google Android device – with only a few exceptions, you're going to get extra stuff that you do not necessarily want or need. Uh, some it, of those things don't make sense yeah, if you catch my drift. Some of those things are impossible to remove without, uh, without rooting your, yeah, device. yeah, rooting your device. So, you know, this is one way to get around that as well. Now, uh, we don't know if it's going to succeed. We'll have to wait, but still really a computer that's been put into the tablet form factor. It's, it's again that philosophy is build, scaling down as opposed to scaling up some other lower powered electronic device. Um, the other big thing that I saw everyone going gaga about is the cover for the surface. Ah, uh, yes. Now it is very much like the smart cover introduced with the iPad 2 because it has a magnetic uh clasp on it so that yeah. when you you uh cover your surface tablet, it will the magnets will snap to the the case of the device and it right. will hold it closed. Yeah, but it but, also has uh, a keyboard built into it. And yes, there are two different types of the keyboard. There's a pressure sensitive keyboard where uh, the keys are not raised or anything, but you can, you know, designated certain keys. And then there's actually a click keyboard where there the keys are raised slightly, so it's a more like a touch keyboard. Um, and also, uh, they 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 work. Uh, uh, they, they have a variety of colors. They work on Bluetooth to connect to the device. Um, it's kind of interesting. They also the the surface itself has a little kickstand in the back of it that you can flip out so it stands up uh, like a, a laptop screen would. In fact, a lot of people have said that this is really just another version of the laptop tablet hybrid. It's just that this is one that is closer to the tablet side than the laptop side. And I don't know that Microsoft would argue that because they really want you to think of it as a PC. In the uh, in the Microsoft presentation where they unveiled this, they referred to it as a PC repeatedly. Yeah, which is exactly in line with their their previous tablet efforts. Right, right. And so, exactly in opposite alignment of Apple's approach, where yeah. Apple would jobs would say, this is not a PC. This is a this is a tablet. It's for the post PC environment. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. 
explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Right, right. Where, whereas uh, the iPad, and it has been criticized more times than I can count, certainly, by people who say it's a consumption device. Right. Uh, it is a consumption device that people began writing productivity software for. It sort of won people's hearts and minds by being a c- consumption device primarily at first. Right. But it has shown also, uh, well, the software developers have shown that you can use it for productivity, uh, and, creation. productivity and creation as well. And yep. And Microsoft is approaching it as a... Uh, well, this is a scaled-down productivity device that you can also use to consume with. Yeah. So it's it's really, I mean, the, both devices will do both. But right. It's, it's two a different angle two different for, approaches to the same it. converging point. Right. Because right? Right. that's what this is all about is convergence. Because you know you can't go an entire episode without me saying the word. So that's a uh, that's a uh, that's an example there. Yeah. And and. You know, just so you guys know, I mean, there have been uh, several tablets that have run on various versions of Windows. Windows XP, Windows Vista, and Windows 7 all had tablets. Uh, it's just they didn't do so well. And so, you know. In terms of sales. In terms of sales. Um, so we'll see if the, the Surface could perhaps buck the trend. I, you know what? I think we're actually getting to the point where people are curious about this. They really think, well, if Microsoft can make a, a truly compelling product that can really run these rich applications that are beyond the scope of something like an iPad or an Android tablet, perhaps there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. And that might very well be, instead of buying a laptop, maybe I'd buy a Surface next time because it has right. all the capability of a laptop, but it has the portability and other uh, functions of a tablet. Mm-hmm. Why would I, why not get that? Um I think it's really going to depend heavily upon the price of the Surface. We don't know what that's going to be yet. No, nope. we, we don't know exactly what processors they're going to put in it either. Right, yeah, we don't have the specific details. We do know that the RT1 will have an ARM-based processor. That's what Windows RT was optimized for. Mm-hmm. And that the Windows uh, 8 Pro version will have some sort of x86-based processor, although and we don't know specifically which one it will be. 
Um, we know that there's going to be a couple of different flavors of each of these. You know, there's certain mm. <laughs> blueberry. They'll have they'll have different levels of storage space. You know, 32 gig versus 64 gig versus 128 gig, that kind of thing. Right. But mm-hmm. we don't really know what the price ranges are going to be. It may very well be that the Windows 8 Pro 128 gig version is, you know, $1,800. That could, that could happen. Well, we don't know. That, that's the, the thing about uh, a tablet, regardless of what system it's running, you might say, is what you're giving up to yeah. make it work and uh, what price point you've got to hit. So, you know, you have to make sure it's, it's not going to run the battery down. You got to make sure that it's, ener- you know, that it's energy efficient, that it, it looks nice, even though it has a nice screen on it and it, it's functional. But then you go, okay, well, what software am I going to run? You know, what, obviously you're not going to be able to run something like a, uh, a Final Cut Pro on an, uh, an iOS device. Right. Or, um, Adobe, uh, full version of Adobe Photoshop CS on, uh, a Surface because, there are certain things you you need the screen space you need. So what are you going to give up? What are you going to take out? What are you going right. to put in? And that's that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the philosophy that we're approaching it at because um, the form factor has been established as a success. Yes, you know it's it's a good. These are good sizes for the device. Um, as a matter of fact, yeah, the surface is very similar in size to the iPads yep. versus the uh, the Android tablets. Which, which vary in size. Yeah, Some they of range them are in lots of sizes. Sixteen by nine screen size, and you know they're smaller or bigger yeah, than you five have five inch or seven inch tablets. The phablets. Yeah, the phablets. The the half phone, half tablet. I like saying that. The Galaxy Note being one of the first. Makes the the term makes Jonathan squirm. So yeah, I like I'm saying not that. not a big but, fan of of the term phablet. I still want a Galaxy Note, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I don't own one. Still want one. But uh, but I do think I do think that Microsoft has uh, is on the right track. Definitely. And if anybody can do this, it's going to be Microsoft. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Google and Apple have already proven that they can do this. But I, I can't think of anybody else getting into the field uh, and just where I go. Well, there's Paul. These oh, guys. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, HP, uh, they had- still have WebOS. Yeah. Yep. I don't know that we'll ever. I mean, technically, it's not dead dead yet. Uh, no, it will, I think, depend very heavily on the price mm-hmm. uh, because people now have an expectation of how much a tablet should cost, not thinking this is – don't think of it as a tablet. Think of it as a PC. That's that's really hard because now we've already established what a tablet is and what it can do and what it cannot do. And perhaps if you think of it, oh, well, this is a tablet. It can just do more than this other tablet. Yeah, but is it $1,200 more – Value, sure. That's sure, yeah. so. I think it's really going to play down to how does Microsoft price it. Microsoft could end up pricing it very, very competitively, so that they're essentially taking a loss on the hardware. But if they do that, then they're shooting themselves in the foot in another way because they've set an expectation for all their partners. Yeah. And then if their partners are forced to sell at a, you know, it doesn't make sense for the partners to sell at a huge loss. If they, if that's how they make their money is through the hardware, which is already a very low margin area to make your money off of anyway. Um, so Microsoft has a very delicate balancing act. They can't price it so competitively that they have knocked all their partners out of the market and they can't go too far over the established price of tablets because then everyone's going to balk at the expense. Right. Plus, uh, I think this is very important for Microsoft to try. Yes. Uh, for one very important reason, um, there has been a, a a halo effect on Mac sales 
from the success of the iPhone and the iPad. Now, of course, you're going to say that uh, the Mac still trails Windows by a, a huge margin. Yes, that's true. But there has been an increase in Mac sales, and they have been selling better. Now, there are rumors, of course, that with uh, the Chrome operating system, that uh, Google could be getting into the desktop market. Nah. And and it, I think it is important to uh, for Microsoft to establish a beachhead in the tablet front to keep people to give them an option and to keep everybody in the Windows ecosystem yeah. as it is. Well, I have you to say You can have Windows 8 Mobile. You can have, uh, you know, the Windows RT uh, tablet, and you can have your Windows 8 desktop. I have to say that I'm not surprised about the Halo Effect thing because, you know, as we all know, Bungie used to develop games just for the Mac, and that was where Marathon came out of, and the Halo games are sort of a spinoff of Marathon, and not, those went over into... Not that Halo Effect. Oh, the halo effect actually refers to, hey, I like this, and well, you know what? That looks very much like this. I think I'd be comfortable trying it out. And oh. uh, yes, people have been trying out uh, Macintosh computers, people who didn't necessarily use them because they bought uh, an iPhone or an iPad and said, hey, you know, the operating system looks pretty similar. I want to try it. And they find out they work very well together. Again, that's... Sort of the benefit of the closed system. Mm, I just have a Halo. benefit of the closed system. I have Halo on the mind because I get to play Halo Four in two weeks. Okay, all right. So I'm excited. But uh, well, that was the reason that uh, Microsoft sold so well. Uh, Office and Windows go so well together, and of course, Internet Explorer as mm-hmm. the browser. Um, you know, that was the focus of the uh, the whole antitrust thing. Is yep. it part of the operating system? Is it not part of the operating system? Do yep. people have a choice? But, um, Which makes yeah. you wonder about the whole, like the any. There's an antitrust thing brought up against Microsoft, but not brought up against Apple and the iPad, no. which has Safari. And well, anyway, so uh, well, these things I think are being redefined. Yeah, they are. I, I agree, they are being redefined. So we're going to wrap up this discussion on the history of Microsoft and tablets and the, the discussion about the Surface, which I'm sure we'll talk more about once it once it actually becomes a... A, a, a real reality? Yes, a retail reality. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to just the, the versions that we've seen and where we have more details and we can kind of... I think it'll be fun to talk about it maybe a year after the debut to see what impact it had, if any, on the industry as a whole. Well, that's a that's a good point, too, because as we know, uh, BlackBerry and uh, Palm's tablets lasted for a very, very brief period of time on store shelves. Yeah. I think the Surface has a much better chance of Agreed. making it long-term and being a real competitor to the iPad than um, those devices did. Yeah. I agree. I do. I think they'll be around. Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, I there was a lot of initial excitement at the announcement at any rate, so that yeah. hopefully will propel this. And it, it, competition is always a good thing. Yep. So I want to see this succeed at least as far as it'll make other companies like Google and Apple and and the various partners really press to innovate and and continue to bring cool features to consumers. Yep. So we'll all benefit in the end. Yep. Well, that wraps up this. Discussion. Now, if you guys have any suggestions for topics that we should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please let us know. You can send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 
brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.